Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. All right. um, Number part two, part two of our series, The Light Will Shine. Title of today's message is Glorious, Marvelous, Wonderful. And um, I got to say, maybe it's because I don't listen to the country music station anymore. Those of you who know what I'm about to say, we will understand right away. But uh, the country music station here in Grand Prairie for my entire life has always, during this season, played that little story time with Gib Forrester. Somebody who knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right? And then at the end, they just, it feels like Christmas. They do that little thing. And I got to say, it just it's always been a part of Christmas for me. And I really like it. Now that I don't really listen to the radio a lot, I don't know why. I just like to drive in silence these days. Curtis, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> something about silence that's good sometimes. I just I kind of feel like I'm missing it. And I'm worried you guys are missing it. I'm worried that as we get older, uh, and I know that this is a stage of life that comes and goes several times in our existence as human beings, uh, that we, we kind of really fall in love, we're really excited about it, and then it's just Christmas can be an awful lot of hard work, and we feel pulled in all kinds of different directions, and then we, we kind of come back to it. And I want to invite you uh, once again, and, and this does get a little cliche, because people like me, pastors, are saying this year after year after year, but come back to it. Come back to Christmas, and I want to talk to you about this light once again this week that will shine uh, through us. Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, and Jesus also telling us that we are the light of the world. And... Um, you know, we're just getting a little closer. It's exciting. I talked to my niece this morning, and she informed me that they do, in fact, have a Christmas tree in their home. And I don't know. She's very funny to me. She's a, she's a curious little creature. She talked to me about how she came to church today from her home. Well, most of us just say house. But, but she's very articulate in how she says things. And it, I, I love watching her get excited. I like watching my own kids get excited. Because it's a season of glory and marvelous wonder. And uh, I want to turn to Luke 2, uh, which most of you, I hope, know more or less off by heart. Um, If you were raised in the church at all, you probably have most of this memorized. Even if you're not aware of it, the words will all sound familiar. But I want to just read a short short part of Luke chapter 2 today, starting in verse 8, and it says this, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks, by night, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, What did he say? Do not be afraid. See, I knew you'd know it. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. This is kind of the launching point for for our conversation today. Christmas isn't just about light. And a lot of people would have you believe it's just about light. I mean, in the whole New Age movement, light is a very popular theme, energy, all that kind of stuff. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than the light of the sun, the light of a candle, the light that we hang on our Christmas trees. It's, it's, it's more about the light that is produced or that is the, 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 the offspring of 
the glory of God. And I don't think that we really have a way to comprehend or understand what that is. It's about the glorious, marvelous, wonderful light of the King of Heaven coming into our darkness. And in this season, we celebrate that a lot with lights. I'm going to share with you this morning a brief history of the Christmas light. Uh, because even the most secular person sitting in this room probably hangs Christmas lights. In, in all likelihood. I, I actually kind of marvel at this. Even our own government, they kind of want to cancel Christmas. I don't know if you're noticing that. I am. Our federal government's kind of like, ooh, down on Christmas. And yet they're going to take off December the 25th and 26th. And, well, shoot, I think they probably already started taking days off. And they're not going to stop taking days off because of Christmas until sometime in the new year. Just the irony is not lost on me. I hope it's not lost on you. You know what I'm saying. Um, but even the most secular, the most far from God person kind of understands that, hey, this season, this time of the year, we celebrate with light. And um, even the most, uh, well, I mean, light goes back in, in, in terms of the celebrations that we see. I mean, in the time of the Maccabees for the Jewish people, uh, Hanukkah came to be, and that is literally the festival of light. And, and for many, many thousands of years before that, light, of course, has been something humanity as a whole has appreciated, wanted, loved, because it gives them hope, it gives you warmth, it gives you courage, it does, it does all of these amazing things for us. And um, just light shows up where it's dark, and we tend to like that as people. So in this season, we use lights to remember a number of things. Maybe we use lights to remember um, this glorious light that shone around the shepherds and the angel that appeared to them. Uh, the light that appeared in the east, the star that appeared in the east that the magi, the wise men, followed. By the way, magi are not like Christian folk. They weren't good Jewish folk. They were astrologers. They were kind of like the opposite of what... Of what, of what Christianity is, and yet they were drawn by this light that showed up in heaven, and they knew from their text and from their study of spiritual things that this was a special human that was coming to, coming to earth on that particular time, so they followed that light. And even, I imagine, even the power of the light from those little lamps that were in that little shelter, that animal shelter with Mary and Joseph, on that night that Jesus was born into this world, covered in baby slime. Somebody had to, you, you don't think about this very often, but somebody had to come along and cut the umbilical cord of Jesus, the incarnate God. And, and they had to swaddle him so he didn't get cold. And he had to nurse, and he had to have his diaper changed. And, and, and I mean, you know, I, I know that in the movie Talladega Nights, when they pray to baby Jesus, they are totally mocking and making fun of God. But at the same time, even though those comedians don't know it, they're actually declaring the marvelous glory of who Jesus is. It's, it, is, it is hilarious to me. The irony of that is hilarious to me. And so wherever we find ourselves, um, but light, uh, lights, and specifically Christmas lights, if you didn't know, have not been around for thousands of years. Okay, I thought maybe you'd come along a little quicker than that. The Christmas light has only been around since about 1882 uh, or 1892. I wrote it down in my notes. 1882. 140 years ago. Today. Well, I don't know if it was right today, but it was around this time. 140 years ago that a man who was the vice president then of the Edison Electric Light Company, whose name was Edward Hibbard Johnson, he got the bright idea that what he should do is have some lights wired together 
80 of them to be specific, in red, white, and blue, to be wired together in walnut-sized little glass globes so he could wrap them around his Christmas tree and celebrate Christmas with his family. Well, it took off from that point, of course. Um, General Electric ended up buying the patent for it, and, and Christmas lights came into production very, very quickly after that. In fact, I believe it was, oh, I can't remember now. I know Calvin Coolidge, U.S. president, was one. Um, there was another one that came before him that, that, that kind of made it normal because they actually started to decorate the White House with Christmas lights quite early on, 1920s, 1930s, somewhere in there. And so it, it really did catch on. And now, today, you can go almost anywhere on planet Earth, to any nation, to almost into any culture, and you will actually find Christmas lights represented in homes and businesses and places of worship. It's truly, truly an amazing thing. And um, scientists have actually studied the effect of light on the human brain. And of course, they, they weren't really studying the effect of light on the human brain when we were doing this all with candles, which was the 17th century, by the way. And the, the Europeans, specifically the German people, um, were, were known for, crazy Germans, all you Mennonites, they were known for taking candles and putting them on spruce trees in their homes. Idea, that's not a good idea. Um, and, and so it actually became such a prolific problem. Now, in the 17th century, they didn't really have home insurance policies. But as home insurance policies came on, before electric lights were common, actually insurance companies began to write, uh, write waivers in there to say, if your house burns down because of candles on an evergreen tree, we are not covering you. That is, uh, you are choosing to take that risk and you are choosing to accept the consequences of that loss. And, um, but, but, the, but the Germanic people, the Europeans, the Scandinavians, all of those folks, they would put lights in Christmas trees and they would wax them to the boughs or they would use pins to hold them to the boughs. And they would also set candles in their windowsills to let others know that it was a place to worship Jesus at Christmas. And I think that's a, I think that's a really wonderful thing to know because my kids probably aren't being taught that at school. And we honestly aren't like, hey, kids, at church and Sunday school, this is why we have Christmas lights. It's a long-standing tradition. Uh, and maybe it's actually not that important to know. But I want you to know this morning. I want you to know that the effect of light on the human brain is a profoundly powerful thing. In fact, the variety of colors, European, uh, the, I can't remember what they're called, some European Scientific Union study group of people, um, they were studying this, and what they found is specifically Christmas lights, the variety of color, the amount of lights, actually reduce, or actually cause the release of dopamine in the human brain. So literally, when people start seeing the holiday lights of Christmas, something begins to transform in their mind, and they are drawn back to, no doubt, uh, childhood memories, celebrations, you know, uh, fond, fond, re, or fond uh, recollections of things in the past, all of those things. But very specifically, the light, the color, the intensity of light is what actually triggers that release in the human brain. And I think that's a profoundly wonderful thing. And obviously, we can grasp that it's always been that way for human beings. I mean, even in the most, um, well, in the most unmodern of times. Just the light of a fire, of course, we understand is hope, it's hope bringing. It's, it gives courage. It, it causes us to feel safer. It, it's good for us to be around that. And so um, light has this profound ability to impact human beings. 
And I'm sure that it matters to other species that exist on our planet, but, but never as much as it actually matters to the, the psychological welfare of a human being. It's, it is profoundly amazing how this impacts us, lights. And I think, that, I think that what's on my heart to share with you today is that more than just the phenomenon of what an electric light can do, because it causes us to not burn our house down as easily, it, it, it allows us to have more light in more places, and it allows us to have more light actually at less expense, because if you've ever made candles, you know that it's actually a lot of work. It's very time-consuming. And so it's, it's caused us to be able to have this reminder everywhere, but we have maybe forsaken what the reminder is of. And the reminder, of that, I, the reminder that it is of I want to bring to you this morning is that this light that shines is a light that is glorious, it is marvelous, and it is wonderful. So much so that grown men who had weapons, who, whose job it was to guard the livestock, guard the livelihood of their community, were afraid when they encountered that light. So much so, that light was so powerful that it drew people from other faiths, from other worldviews, from other religions to the manger where Jesus was born. And I, and I think I'm most profoundly struck by the power of that light because as we get to the end of the message today, I'm going to explain this to you, but that light that shone with the shepherds, that glory of heaven that was there, that glory of heaven that, in, that, that came and filled that star that drew those wise men, right down to that little lamplight that was at, the, was at the manger, that was in the animal shelter with Mary and Joseph as Jesus was born, that same light is the light of the glory of God in heaven where there is no sun because the glory of God illuminates everything in his kingdom. It's so much deeper and bigger and wider and more profound. And if you'll just pause in your busyness this morning, maybe, just maybe, you can catch a little bit of what that means to you and I today. The lights that we use are far too dim a representation to compare with what the shepherds saw that night. And I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but I want to share this story with you. When I was maybe 14 years old, I might have been 15 years old, um, I slept in the basement of our home that I grew up in in Grobedale. And it was probably about 3 o'clock in the morning one night. I woke up for whatever reason, and I actually thought someone had driven a vehicle around behind our house and was shining the headlights of the vehicle straight into my bedroom window. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? So I jump out of bed. I, uh, I probably didn't pull on a robe or anything, so bolted up the stairs, went outside to see my mom and dad standing on the lawn. I don't know, if they might remember this, they might not, but to see them standing on the lawn looking up, and what was happening was the northern lights had come out so brightly that night that it was as bright as day everywhere. And I can't even describe, my mind actually cannot even recall the variation of color. It can't recall the motion and the movement of those lights. You guys, it was, it was actually like you could reach out and touch the spectrums of light. They were right in our yard. And I'm telling you, it was as bright as day. And in that moment, I remember thinking back many times in my life, going, maybe this is just a little bit what it was like for those shepherds who stood there that night in the fields watching their sheep when the glory of the Lord began to shine. I have, a, I have a sneaking suspicion that as awesome as that experience was for me, as inspiring, as marvelous and wondrous as that was, overwhelming as it was, I still don't think it could compare to the appearance of God's glory to those shepherds. 
So maybe it's as close as I'm going to come in my life to seeing it. And I actually wish every one of you could have been there because if you've ever been under the northern lights when they are bright like that, there is, there is like an audible hum. You can, actually, you can actually feel the energy of creation moving in symphony. It's profound. And I think maybe that's just a taste of what the light of heaven is. We're often forgetting the power of what was seen by those shepherds through the season. And we forget because we get busy, we get pulled in a lot of different directions. Maybe you might even be brave enough this morning to admit that what's happening is you're actually just lazy in your heart. That you're actually holding on to too many other things. That you're saying too many yeses and not enough noes so that the most important things are becoming the least important things and you're paying a price for it. But if I can invite you to come back to this understanding just to grasp, to wrestle with it in your own heart and mind today, to contend for a marvelous light, to contend for the glory of God in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your home, in your business, in all of your relationships. Because you were made to be a carrier, not just of Christmas lights, not just of little LEDs or incandescents or little flickers, but you and I were made to be bearers of the glory of God. Jesus said he's the light of the world, and then he said you are the light of the world. And we are the light of the world, not because we are special, not because we are significant in and of ourselves, but because he is the light that is in us. And we have been saved by a marvelous light. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says this, but you, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood and a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That same light that the shepherds were brought into. His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That word marvelous in the Greek is thamastos. And it describes an awe-evoking sight, the dramatic sense of wonder, moving the, moving the beholder to their very deepest emotions. And it's not a word we use very often. I mean, I can't think of the last time I heard someone say the word marvelous. Anybody here say marvelous in the last week? Wes, you did? Well, there's a couple of hands. A few people are freaks of nature. This is amazing. <laughs> It's not a word we use, you know. I watched Annika play basketball this weekend on her basketball team. And, my, and she was great, by the way. I'm very proud of her. She tore somebody's arm off. It was, it was girls' junior high basketball is the most violent sport on earth that does not involve sticks or other weaponry. It's hand-to-hand -hand combat between adolescent teenage girls. It is a vicious, loud sport. And those of you who have seen it know it's true. But, you know, I watched Annika play, and I'm so proud of her, and I'm her dad. And the last thing, the last word I would actually use is, Annika, you played marvelously. I just wouldn't say that. You know, we say things like awesome, we use others. But that word marvelous in the Greek, that biblical word marvelous, 
is profound. And I'd encourage you to study it out. Look at it, look at it for yourself and understand all you can understand. Some other translation call it the wonderful light, but it's still the same Greek word, thomastos, which is to move the beholder to their deepest emotion. So let me ask you this morning, church, when is the last time you sat there and recognized what Jesus has called you into? I'm Christian. Yeah, I'm saved. Are you doing justice? Are you doing justice to what he's called you out of and what he's called you into? Who he called you from to who he's made you to be? Because it's marvelous and it's wonderful. 1 Peter 2 is making the case that you and I have been called out and called to something. Let me go over it again with you. What is it? We are called out of darkness. We are called from darkness, from, from this place of obscurity to what? To, into his marvelous light. You're called out of obscurity into holy security. That which was in darkness, that which was obscured by a lack of light has been brought into light and made secure in the work of Jesus at the cross. What else has he done? There's a little more. He's called you from a failed life. When he says, you are the people of God who had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What does that mean? It means you went from a life that had failed to a life that is now filled. You who had not received mercy have now received mercy. I have a dear friend who I've talked with many times over the years. And that it's a, he's a person that says, I don't want to be the person who needs help. And the thing that gets said over and over again to his life and the lives of many other people who don't feel like they want to need help is then get help so you don't need help. Because you once were without mercy, but now you have received mercy. And my friend, unless you've crossed that threshold in faith with Jesus, you will never understand what it means. Because we all are actually aware of our shortcoming and our failure. We are actually all very aware because of the Holy Spirit in this world that we have fallen short of God's standard. And so many people spend so much energy justifying so that they can stay the people who did not know mercy. But when Jesus calls you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, he takes you from the people who did not know mercy now to the people who have received mercy. And that is the gift of salvation. That is the gift of God. That is his wonderful, glorious, and marvelous light. Worship team, you can come back. I, I got to ask myself, and you, you might not believe me, but I'm going to tell you anyways, and I don't care if you believe me or not. But I often wrestle this thought out. Who am I that God should call on me for anything? And I believe that if I have the ignorant audacity to question God about anything, I have a tendency to believe that you probably do the same thing. I mean, who are you that God should look your way? Who are you that God should put any responsibility on you? And here's something that I have learned from the Lord over and over again in my life that my question becomes invalidated in his answer. You know what I mean by that? 
God, who, are, who am I that you would even look my way? And God invalidates my question with the answer by saying, I'm looking to you. Because it doesn't really matter who I am once he's acknowledged who I am. It doesn't matter what my qualifications are once God looks at me and says, you are now qualified. And it's not because of what I've done. It's not going to be because of what you do. It's simply because of the place we put ourselves in with Jesus. Because you once were people in darkness but have now been brought into his light. You once were people segregated, isolated, in solidarity, but now you belong to the people of God. A priesthood, a nation for his possession, for his own special purpose. And it's been a little while since I actually looked up the Greek for that, but you were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. The, the Greek word, if I'm remembering it right, talks about this, that you are his very own, very special treasure. Because that word possession is a little bit triggering for some people. Nobody owns me. Okay, fine, nobody owns you. But you belong to him. And I'm sorry if that's the hardest truth you're going to face today, but you belong to him. The one who made you, the one who called you, the one who redeemed you, the one who sanctifies you by his perfect blood, you are his special treasure, his possession. And he wants you to be the vessel of his wonderful, marvelous, and glorious light. Not in some spooky, weird kind of way but in such a way that you would let your light shine because who you are is who he is in you. Who you are is to be the representative. You see, it's who Jesus was to us. The Bible says that Jesus was the exact representation, exact representation of the nature of God. And you and I, the Bible says, are now being conformed to the likeness of his son, of God's son, who is Jesus. So if you and I are being conformed to the likeness of the son of God, and the Son of God was the exact representation of the nature of God, then my friends, what is God wanting from you and me? He's wanting us to reflect that light. That wonderful, marvelous, glorious light. Let your light shine because you are who He is in you. Hang your lights, please. I feel convicted this morning because for the last five years since we moved out to the farm, we have not hung Christmas lights on the outside of our house. Part of it was because we didn't have a roof for a while. Part of it was because I have no eavesdrops to clip them to. Part of it's because we left some of them outside and they got ruined when they got rained on. I mean, I have a lot of reasons. But don't let that stop you from understanding this morning why it is you're hanging those lights. And maybe you're a true Scandinavian and you're going to wait till Christmas Eve to trim your tree. When you hang those lights, teach your kids, remind yourself, remind your family what those lights represent. It's something far more marvelous, glorious, and wonderful than you've been thinking about. Because the light that shines in you is the light of heaven. The King of heaven come down. God incarnate come. Matthew 5, 16, I want to remind you of as we're closing this morning. Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Church, it's all about the glory of God. 
Jesus coming was all about the glory of God being reflected to God. His manifest goodness, grace, nature, his virtue, his expression, who he is and all that he is put into us to be reflected to him. You were born for this time, for this day, for this season in our culture and in our world and God has predestined you for good works in Christ so that you would walk in them. You are called and you are chosen holy and royal. This morning, you might be sitting in church going, I don't know, this doesn't connect with me because I'm not connected with my creator. If if that's you this morning, I I just want to take this moment to remind you like we do every Sunday. Every one of us needs Jesus because we have fallen short of God's standard of perfection. And it's very, very simple. There is no other way to get to the Father. Jesus is the one who made the claim. I am the only way to the Father. Anyone who comes, I am the only door. Anyone who comes to the Father is going to have to come through me. The good news for you is that there's about 8 billion ways to Jesus this morning. Because Jesus actually does want to have a real and personal and individual relationship with you. And I want to invite you to put your trust, to put your faith, to put your hope in Him today, to turn from sin and begin to follow Him. You say, well, pastor, I don't know what sin is. I don't know what things in my life are sin and aren't sin. That's okay, because when you accept Jesus and start to walk with him, he promised he would give you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's job is to guide you into all truth and bring to remembrance everything that Jesus taught. And so by the process of walking with Jesus, we learn about what sin is and what sin isn't. And over time, we learn to become more like him, which is exactly the prescription that our Heavenly Father has for us in this world. So we'd love to pray with you about that if you'd like. Maybe you're dealing with illness in your body. Our prayer team is going to come in just a moment as we sing this last song. I want you to know that you never have to leave this place the same way that you walked in. And it's not about whether you have enough faith or not enough faith. It's actually just about whether or not you're going to respond in obedience to the Spirit of God this morning. So if you'd like prayer for anything, illness in your family your body if your marriage is in trouble if your relationships are all screwed up if you have a kid that you just can't figure out why don't you come let somebody pray with you today let's stand together i want to pray for you and then we're going to sing this last song and as we do come because when we're done singing this song we're going to dismiss church and i don't want you to miss out today on what god has for you let's pray together father i thank you for every person that's in this room right now. I thank you for every person who's watching online. I pray, God, right now that your presence would fill their home. And Lord, I thank you that your presence has already filled this place this morning. And so, Father, as we have talked, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring a relevance to what has been heard here today. God, that your word would penetrate deeply into our hearts. Lord, that you would revitalize and speak life into the parts of us that are dead and dying this morning. Jesus, we actually want to honor you in this season. And we want our hearts to be full of the joy and the light that your word speaks of. God, we want to experience your glory. We want to experience your manifest presence. We want to experience your healing in our lives. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give each one of us the courage then to respond. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. 
For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.